Nietzsche would say, no, overcome your own situation. Don't be okay with being a victim. Rise. You are capable of creating. This is the thing for him. You are capable of creating a new self. When you overcome your situation, you create and you create something new. You create something new. And so for Nietzsche, the self is a self-making. Every one of us has that capacity to create a new creation from the ashes, the phoenix. And that's his idea. On some level, I see Nietzsche's concept of overman as the secularized version of the Christian life. Welcome to Kazungram Dialogue, a podcast dedicated to having honest conversations about the most important issues in life and in our culture. We hope you enjoy this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 51st episode of the Kazungram Dialogue podcast. Thank you for supporting and listening to our podcast. If there's a guest you'd like us to talk with, DM us on Instagram or Facebook. Without further ado, our guest today is our good friend Axel Kazadi, the man with many talents. Axel is director and assistant professor of theology at Kingswood University in Sussex, New Brunswick. Back before becoming professor, Axel was a hip-hop artist. In this episode, we discuss Nietzsche's last man and Ubermensch, the role of social status in liberal and tribal societies, Drake and talent, and the importance of religious practice. Please welcome Axel Kazadi to the Kazumam Dialogue podcast. No worries, brother. It was right for us to do this, you know. We're in the same city. Same city, and the Lord said it shall be done when two or three are gathered together, right? Oh, town. <laughs> I don't know. Is is it even a thing? Like Ottawa? Know. Like, do they refer to Ottawa as O Town here? What I don't do they, know. What man. do they I don't call? Even know what they? Well, what's the nickname Ottawa for Ottawa? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making that up. Um, <laughs> I don't know what they. I don't know what they refer. I, I used to. to refer to it as Cap City. You know, like I just Cap City. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That sounds pretty good. Cap City. I yeah. think the <clears throat> the um, nothing can really be top. You know, all the nicknames that Toronto has. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and and uh, Drake kind of rebranded Toronto. Drake, no. <clears throat> what what is what is it with Drake? This is an honest question. I've never really understood the hype around Drake. You see, as as somebody, as a musician, as a rapper, you right. And Axel's also a professor, which I'm sure I'm going to say in the intro when we talk <laughs> about it. But um, I I I personally have never really understood the hype around Drake. Mm, I, mm. I understand the childish Gambino. Like I love childish, childish Gambino. Gambino. <laughs> I love his music. But right. Drake, I've always thought, okay, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm, I have I have some I have a screw missing <laughs> right 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 no i mean uh i'm a student of hip-hop and i'm i'm hip-hop at the core and that that's that's another side of me that i don't show often to people mm. and uh but um yeah like i'm hip-hop um at the core um so with respect to drake when he first came on the scene right um it was his lyricism the way he structured structured his lyrics and also his flow that really like caught people's like attention mm. you know um and i mean uh the single um best i ever had like just like it blew up and and but he had other like music uh prior to that single coming out but like yeah for drake 
it's it's the way he flows over the beat um and he he also mixes in uh the singing element mm. right um he yeah so he raps and sings and he's very current when it comes to like cultural trends okay. and uh and he's intelligent right like he understands um music the music culture and trends he he picks up on it very quickly um and he's not afraid to experiment mm. right like he's not afraid to like um uh what is it uh to uh add new elements to his to to his sound like um he dabbles into like the 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 afro like beat style on like one dance for example and uh on on other projects too like um he uh he featured uh i mean he brought some like uk artists like on his project and uh and and tried to like emulate their style kind of thing mm. but one thing that impresses me about drake um as a rapper um it's the way he raps within space like for example like each bar like has words too many words right like but he's able to like enunciate all those words as he's breathing like within his breathing space right mm-hmm. um for like for somebody who is a new rapper for example when i started out rapping i thought you know to sound hard i had to pack so many words in one line okay so like right a- like a twist that sort of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Gotta, but like say, yeah you know, that's what r- your face right exactly yeah. but when you start rapping yeah. you don't like announce it's very difficult for you to enunciate every word like every syllable because you have so many words in, in in one bar and so you have to like reduce the number of words in each bar so that you can enunciate words clearly right so that people can hear what you are rapping mm. like what you are saying mm. right because th- that's the goal you you want people to 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 like the flow right like you, you want to draw them in with your flow but you also want them to listen to what you are saying right and so um drake has a great command of his voice is it does that come naturally or is that Oh, like you work with you work at it. Like you and have I, a coach or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a vocal coach who will teach you how to like control your voice um and to like insert like space when to breathe as you're rapping. As you're rapping. Or or singing, right? right? Um but he's great that great at that. So, and and his lyricism yeah. and his flow the way he I'm ready to defend against anyone yeah that drake is the greatest rapper of all time oh <laughs> you heard it you heard on it this podcast really you'd say he's he's the greatest rapper of all time 
of all time. I'm ready to defend that. It, okay, so does that have to do with what you just described? His flow, his his command over um, over artistry wise. Yeah. Like he's he's great. Like, Better than Kanye. Oh yeah, by far, <laughs> by far. Artistry, yeah. Artistry wise, like he's he's. He's the best. Like I, I can't, I can't see, I can't really think of anyone in the game right now yeah. who can beat him. You know. Um, what about childish Gambino? No, 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 really? no, 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 no. Or is it that childish doesn't have the hype? No, I mean he has his own hype. You know, what I mean it's just. What about some of the older guys, like the wood? Ah, the, the wood, oh, the, 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 the those are like. like classic like artists right like and and mind you like i'm a old school type of guy like um old school hip-hop like i grew up on on uh old school hip-hop um you know um growing up i used to like you know listen to like uh nas you know um and it's just like just his his uh delivery um, he he has that New York type of like sound to him, and him Nas and A Z like those were the two like hip uh, New York artists that I listened to. They were very lyrical, um, yeah, and they were conscious rappers. You know, like they, they didn't. I mean, they would talk about like. Um, money and and other like you know other topics that you know most artists like talk about but they they said it in an intellectual like way like in a in a style of like uh like storytelling mm. Mm. right like they'll tell a story uh and then incorporate everything that they've like experienced um in their songs they were very real yeah. right yeah so when you listen to nas you you're, lis- li- you're listening to somebody who's telling you what he what he went what through. he went through right? right um and you get this like raw nas or when you listen to az you you're getting and there's another artist that most people forget like um who is who? is uh is big l Big L. Yeah, uh, uh, old school hip hop. Big L. Big L. Big L was was a monster. Um so yeah, I mean I respect I respect old school hip hop artists. I respect, you know, like uh I respect like from a artistry perspective standpoint like i respect what they've contributed right mm. i i disagree with some of the things that they say like over their music you know what i mean but like from a artistry standpoint like i respect you know nas and 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 jay-z um but i think um artistry wise jake uh, drake surpasses them and he's not even done yet that's what's scary. Okay, so he just won the artist of uh of of the day uh, decade of the decade. Yeah, Drake recently. Um, it's just he makes a lot of hits. 
right? Like, um, he's just he makes smart moves. Um, Does he write his own songs? <laughs> uh the, the, the been the, there's a controversy around uh, around that like uh when he uh um battled uh uh mcmill uh mc uh mcmill um <laughs> kind of pointed out that drake has been relying on other like ghost writers mm. um but when he does write when he writes his own thing man it's scary It's something else. <laughs> It's something else. So, you know, in the beginning, you were, you you mentioned the how Drake brings in the element of singing into rap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And is that was that the first time? Was that the first time? Something like that has happened. With no, no. I think the old Kanye used to like sing too. Like he would incorporate that. Does he have it in, uh, in there've been school? other artists homeschool? No, homeschool. What I say? homecoming the album homecoming he he sings in there doesn't he oh, who kanye um yeah and, and also like um uh and also like like his late registration like album um uh, my dark twisted fantasy like uh like the old school kanye like yeah like he he used to like also sing like he would incorporate that uh, it's not the first time and so uh Maybe kanye influenced drake like the you can you can you can you can see that uh influence mm. um and and you can um really trace that uh uh you can trace uh kanye's influence on uh, uh on drake for sure and drake even himself came out and said that uh uh kanye was one of his inspiration mm inspirations mm. so um no it's not the first time but i would say uh drake perfected that te technique mm, okay. um that style if you will we are living in a time when the internet has given tremendous power to people and has lowered the entry uh, barrier of entry for anybody to be discovered Right, because prior to prior to even like twenty, what are we twenty twenty one? Prior to twenty twenty, even twenty twenty, it was if you wanted to make it into the music business, you know, you kind of had to, you you had to work hard. Maybe you had to move to L.A. You had to make connections. You you could try put your music out on Instagram. Maybe your friends could share it. But when TikTok came around, mm -hmm. you saw a rise in new artists just popping left right center you know one example being um one of the most recent example is Lil Nas X mm -hmm. right his music took off because of TikTok mm -hmm. and and more recently there's the other guy who sings Jalebi baby yeah, I don't know if yeah I'm, I'm not feeling these new school uh rappers man like but go, go ahead but yeah the discoverability has become like the chance of somebody being discovered for their music is so much greater. So my question that I've sort of wondered is, will people start, will, will the old school guys who Drake, I would consider, I, I wouldn't, obviously, I'm not an expert in, in the realm of rap music, but anyone before TikTok, 
I can I would consider old school because now you have a bunch of new schools coming out as a result oh, of right, TikTokers. Right. My question is, will these guys like Drake, right? Uh huh. Will their hype train go down dramatically because now you're going to have an excess of new music that people are easily being discovered and people are going viral so quickly, right? Part of Drake's popularity, I think, is. Um, as I mentioned previously, is the hype that he has. Yeah. And also the sort of clout that he carries. So when I oh, say, big time. I listen to Drake, you're like, whoa, IJ is so sophisticated. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 <laughs> some people don't like Drake. Some people don't like Drake. You know, the, um, um, you know, the, uh, the, there's a, a fraction of the population <laughs> that, oh, yeah. that doesn't like Drake. And, and they don't like him as a person. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, like I mean Drake is not my favorite artist, but like, okay. like, but, Man, like, well, I, I can't, I cannot deny, like, he's, come on, like, it's just, it's just <laughs> overwhelming, like, the, the, the amount of talent this guy has, and he's smart, like, um, yeah, just the, the way, um, he markets himself, mm. you know, and, that, he, and he's always relevant, he's always relevant, yeah. you know, um, and you can, like, criticize him, maybe, like, you know, for, like, um, stealing other people's like style and making it his own kind of thing. Um, I I know that that's kind of like one of the the criticism he uh, that has been leveled, Adam. But like he like at least even when he experiments um, with a new sound, that's not really his per se. Like he's. He still sounds good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, you know what I mean. Like, at least he's stretching himself. And yeah. as an artist, you you want to stretch yourself, you know. And and that's something that I wish. Um, starting out, like as an artist, I wish I stretched myself um, to my like limit, you know. And 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 I wish I ha- I was more relevant and more self revealing in my music. Uh, because I was so stuck on that old school type of way of like mm. doing hip hop mm. that I neglected what was actually going on in the present. What people, uh, what people are accustomed um, to listen to, like, um, so like, I just neglected what um, what people liked, you know in the present mm. and so that's one thing i would change if i were to if you were to if to you go, back, you know, go back yeah, yeah yeah um yeah it's it is interesting that in almost every aspect of life which can be which can become a, a sort of a sport if i can call it that I'm not saying you know where in, within rap, you know, you would say Drake is the goat, right, the greatest of all time. But then you can have that that there are some of the, some people like Drake who are just levels ahead of other people. Right? Yeah. So you have in, you know, you have a mixed martial art somebody like John Jones who's always levels ahead of other people, like Khabib levels ahead of other people. Mm-hmm. You have Mike Tyson, or you have currently Mayweather. Mm-hmm. You, then you go into you know some other realm like. Um, you know, you go into into the world of science. You know, you you have 
Copernicus, not that Copernicus himself was the smartest of all t- at that point, but you know, he was in one sense levels ahead of other people. Mm-hmm. And I've wondered what it, how it is that those people get to where they are, right? Like, mm. was it their environment that was the major playing factor, right? That, that, or was it, mm. was it something natural? Was it something genetic? Mm. I think, uh, um, first of all, um, talent is important. Like, you, you, you you gotta have like some sort of like talent first of all talent but then um in that particular field like of like let's say like hip-hop every artist in that field has some talent but like you want to have other other things um in your toolbox that separates you from other people and so one of the one of those things um is discipline um maybe another thing will be like your work ethic Mm. how hard you work Mm. how how do you approach your craft Mm. you know like are you one of those artists who is so like comfortable in your in your skills uh in in your skill set um um you're comfortable with what you have or comfortable with your talent and you have no even you you don't have motivation to like improve yourself yeah. you know um just to jokingly like uh um uh reference uh um i alan iverson uh iverson you know yeah. practice what we're talking about practice right <laughs> like like what practice yeah like to to be great like you gotta practice every day bro yeah like, you know like you 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 gotta practice every day um and you have to like develop that discipline mm. of like of like waking up in the morning um when everybody is sleeping you start early you start working you know on your craft and then you take a break. When you take a break, that's when people are waking up. And then you take a break. And then maybe like to a, th- this is what I got from Kobe. Kobe would wake up at the three. Same be- uh, the, the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the different, different animal, animal but the, the same, same beast. beast. <laughs> <laughs> he would wake up at three. At three? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, the, these uh, NBA like superstars, they work wake up early like jimmy butler he wakes up he wakes up at three what's he doing after he wakes up so you wake up you start training okay right um and then and then you take like two hour a two hour break and then you you eat you eat um and then you rest a little bit you go back again like go back on the basketball court and train again like I think Kobe like would train like maybe like three or four times per day, bro. See, if you do that lot. every that's day, that's a lot. If you do that every day, you're gonna be ahead of a lot of people. Yeah. So you gotta have like an insane uh, system of like an an insane system that really allows you to like work hard 
and at your craft so i, I mean you you're into martial arts and, and and i'm sure like you can uh, attest to to uh to how important discipline is mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um yeah i think that that the one thing that <clears throat> i i i wonder is having that sort of discipline you know you can't just develop that overnight you don't just wake up cold turkey one day and say i don't wake up at three every day right maybe it's possible i mean cold turkey you can you can cold turkey a lot of things but something like waking up at 3 a.m in the morning i know how difficult it is to wake up in the morning like i i know how man i'm not a morning person at all like at all man it's so tough i'm a night owl bro night owl you know, I you tell me to stay up all night. I'll stay up all night. But but uh, <laughs> I've changed though because of my my job. Like yeah. I, I wake up early, early now. What time you know? are you waking up now? I wake up like around five a.m. Oh dang, son! Yeah, five to get ready for my like eight a.m. like classes. Yeah, you put me to shame. <laughs> I gotta I gotta work. I was <clears throat> I was waking up at. 5 30 last year and then it moved to like 5 45 6 6 15 6 7 and now it's like 7 30 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know plus i'm working from home right so you get, you're like mm, you can wake up go outside make coffee look at the look at the scenery go back yeah. in work right but but i think the one thing you know that i've learned is is there's a big difference between working hard just simply like working hard per se and working hard with intention mm. like um, with a goal with a specific goal in mind or working hard with a set of parameters mm-hmm. that help you dictate because you know you have you know in 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 Brazilian jiu-jitsu specifically up until very very recently the way it was taught was as if somebody just popped out of like 12th century and said, the way to learn this is do this move over and over and over and over. <laughs> and that's the way it was taught for so many. I mean, it still is the case. And what changed my mind was reading this book by Anders Ericsson. He's a okay. sports psychologist, okay. professor of sports psychologist. Right, right. He wrote a book called Peak. Oh. The book is about, it is essentially a study on how prodigies come out into the world like what makes talented people what we call talented people talented Mm. and what Anders Ericsson found out was nobody's born talented Mm. and that blew my mind because he I mean the one point one thing that he says is it is one it is true that some people are more inclined to other things so like if you're more inclined to playing basketball and say I am more inclined to playing um volleyball and we mm. sort of pursued that mm. you know in, in in a year you would be considered a Haxel has talent in basketball AJ's talent in volleyball right but the starting point is not so much talent it's more so interest so he he sort of followed these kids and how these kids developed their interest and the example that he used and the study that he used was this family out from like eastern europe somewhere right um a couple this is the craziest this is like one of the most insane um, couples in the world they decide to get married 
right? And they both have this theory that you can create genius. The husband and wife, pre- before they were married, had this idea. <laughs> Met each other and said, hey, why don't we have kids and experimented on our kids? So they said, wow. what is the best way to prove to the world that you can create geniuses? I wouldn't experiment on my kids, <laughs> though, man. But here's the thing. It's, it's nothing like um, there was no prodding, right? They said, the best way to prove this is through chess. All right, chess is a very complicated, very mind-absorbing game. You right. Know, you sort of need your whole mind in it because it's a creative problem-solving you're doing. Right. They said, if we can get our kids to become grandmasters, we've proved it. Guess what? They had three girls. Every single girl became a grandmaster. No. Yep. And every the each daughter, right, um, got to grandmastery level younger and younger. So the first girl got to Grandmaster, I think, at 21. The next one got to, like, 18. The next one was, like, at 15. But then she had a spat with one of the Grandmasters, and so they refused to give it to her. Oh. So that's crazy. That's insane. That's insane, right? But it's like... And then he talks about hard work. He does talk about it. It's just that, you know, I'm sure with some of the elite athletes, the re- the ones who... Like LeBron James, mm. even though I don't like LeBron, I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> you know, I, I love LeBron's. I've always loved LeBron's basketball, even when I was in high school. And I thought, man, this guy, this guy is something else. Even though, he's know, something, he's else, something else, man. This is he's a beast. He's, he's but I'm sure when he practices, it's very different from oh, yeah. the way your normal. Yeah. I mean, when I say normal NBA player, they're not they're normal. They're not normal <laughs> at <laughs> all. They're, 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 normal, right? they're like. Normal among stars. Right, 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 right. It's insane. Yeah. I suppose what you just shared, it's like a a new perspective um, on like talent, right? Like, um, because like, I thought like, I thought people like were born with, with talent, uh, and some had to like work at it mm. for example like when it comes to hip-hop my younger brother he's naturally gifted at hip-hop but i think he's naturally gifted because of you no uh no it's, it's not because of me <laughs> no, I mean, surprisingly like in, enough in, in, in the sense of, in the same sense that these sisters the, the reason at least um the neuroscience studies that they were show, trying to show is that the reason the younger sisters or each younger sister reached the level of the older sister at a younger age mm. is because when they were the younger sister when they were coming up they had somebody older at a higher level than them so each time that they would practice or they would they wanted to emulate there was somebody in close contact with them that they could emulate mm. so then and that's why the oldest sister who had nobody to emulate after took the longest time, mm. right? Became grandmaster at twenty-one, mm. and then each preceding sister was younger and younger. So, like your younger brother, who we've, who's been on the podcast, Armel. Yeah, he's a very good. He's a very good rapper. <laughs> I, I, very, he's got a great voice as well. Yeah, like he's naturally gifted. I've, I've all. 
I always feel as though I had to like work harder, mm-hmm. right? I feel like I had to work harder at my craft. Mm. But I mean, I'm sh- I definitely believe that him him too, like he had to like he worked hard, you know, at his craft as well. Um, but I definitely think he is more gifted he's naturally gifted than i am mm. um but yeah i had to like labor <laughs> <laughs> like i had to work hard you know at developing my my flow and then did i tell you this uh i actually went to chicago i lived in chicago for six months and you did and did my internship at a hip-hop church i didn't know it was at a hip-hop church. it was a hip-hop church how was that it was it was and a great experience were, if i remember correctly you you were also helping out a ministry in the more dangerous areas of chicago right? yeah it was the in the western part of chicago um londell londell yeah londell um yeah, it was it was a great experience. I really uh enjoyed uh my time there. The thing with hip hop church is that we sang the same songs that you would sing in a traditional church, mm-hmm. but those songs were set to like a hip hop beat. So think of um how great is our God. But like set to like a hip hop beat. How would it sound like? My beatboxing is not that great. But yeah, yeah. Like it was, it was, it was insane. And, and I was one of the MCs. And so you, um, you'd open the service. Yeah. Um, and we would open the service with a with a um, cipher, a cipher, uh, a cipher that, that is pretty much like um, uh, MCs just like freestyling um, over a, a beat, um, and there's no particular like um, topic that they have to um, um, cover in their raps. It's just free flowing. Mm. And so you'd open with like a, a cipher. You you call people to stand to their feet, and you start freestyling. You start freestyling, getting them ready for like worship. And then, um, and then, and then, yeah. After that, the worship band comes on, and then they start singing. Um, the preaching is very different. The preaching is very in your face. Like it's very in your face. Um, very raw and honest. Okay. Like, yeah. Like the, there aren't any topics that are left. Oh, okay. Like oh. you share everything. Okay. Um, you speak on everything. Sex, you know, anything. spiritual, anything. Like it's, yeah. it's so direct and, in, and, and the message is very challenging, right? That's um, rare. Right, right. And and the message calls you out. Like the preacher is like, "Yo, what are we doing?" You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's like we, we do this, we do that. It's like, h- how are we living up to like 
um, Christ's example. Um, so, but that's I mean I'm uh, that's very rare even in normal churches for ministers to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a minister that I once knew who <clears throat> we we were having discussion, and I was asking him why in his sermons, you know, he would never mention sin at all. And I was, you know, I was with him for like <clears throat> a year, close to a year. Hmm. And, you know, I asked him one day, just, you know, we were having coffee and I asked him, I said, why don't you have this? You know, it seems that if you are a Christian and you are a Christian minister, I mean, ministers generally are Christians, but why don't you ever mention sin? And I've, and I've noticed it. And he said, and I would ne- I'll never forget what he said. He said, it's because I don't want to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. The the sermons in hip-hop churches uh, make, make you, you uncomfortable. uncomfortable. They make you uncomfortable, brother. They make you uncomfortable. And, and do you think there's that it makes the church more authentic? Yes, you have to be real with people. And that's one of the things that's very difficult. Um in church is is that unless you have a minister who is self-revealing in their sermons mm-hmm. but it does a great deal um, to the church if a minister is a minister is vulnerable um it's great if a minister is open um, about his past, you know, his failures, insecurities, whatnot. Like, if you have that kind of minister, man, you, that minister invites other people and challenges other people to be also open mm. and to be vulnerable mm. in that church space. But if the minister is closed off and is not self-revealing in his sermons and he comes uh, comes off as though he's more righteous than other people, um, it's really difficult to break that shell. Mm. Um, it will be very difficult for people to be vulnerable. And so you have to create a culture, right? That allows a free space that allows people to like share. Now, I think the best forms or the best group types for that kind of like vulnerability is small groups it's really difficult like on a sunday morning to have that time where like everybody like shares about everything that's going on in their lives right but if you have a weekly program that people can attend and they're encouraged to open up 
think those small groups uh, should 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 be um uh, a revitalizing like to to further the growth of the church mm-hmm. right and so those small groups they act as agents that can spark mm-hmm. that growth yeah and it's all it, it's even countercultural to have such a thing as a small group in you know we living in north america in most of latin west is 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 we live in a liberal society in 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 the, in the political sense or in the philosophical sense where individual individualism is pushed down your throat such that the promise is you as an individual will be freer without your family without your tradition without your group so then you get into a somewhere like a city where you leave your family behind you leave your tradition behind you leave your nation behind you you leave all that you know to come afresh to this new place but then what happens is that you end up you as a human being as a social creature you don't have the connection and precisely small groups if you're even because there are people who are part of big groups uh, churches just churches whether they're big or small doesn't matter right but they don't have a community and it's something intrinsic about human beings that you are always drawn to community yes and there's something about community itself that it it almost has a cyclical effect of making the individual draw deeper in, inside of himself to become more virtuous at least that's what i've at least that's what i've noticed or found mm-hmm. and you know the, the 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 small group i think in small group in churches is something that i've always appreciated because of that Mm. And you know people who don't go to churches or who 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 aren't religious, um, you know they end up finding their community in other commun- communal oriented things. Mm-hmm. Like I train martial arts, there are tons of non-religious people there, and they their community is their, their community is, is is the is the is the gym, mm-hmm. and you know and some some are that it's their only one such that when this whole pandemic thing happened right they were you know they, yeah they lacked that community that you mm. know, some of them it was tragic for some of them and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, but it's just it's just something about community and a mm-hmm. small group it touches on something that's countercultural. right the culture tells you you know you are best by yourself yeah yourself yeah i mean theologically speaking um just to like touch just to touch on your your point about community church is not a building church is properly defined as the people of god mm. and that um referent um comes from the old testament with respect to like Israel and how Israel was formed to be a people of of God of of Yahweh right there is a community there mm. 
um, and each member feels as though they're intrinsically and fundament like fundamentally linked to this body mm. of people like they're they are participating in something greater than themselves than than themselves correct right and they're and all of them have a goal one goal like they've oriented the community has been oriented around one specific goal which is communion with god mm. right and that deepens community and i think with respect to the gym yes the see i think the goals and the commitment that are established in that gym context mm -hmm. that's what makes community mm. that's what deepens community that's what uh, sparks community that's what creates that you know it it it's why are you at the gym it's not because you're in love with the building the right, gym right. no uh, <laughs> you know point. what i mean right there are certain commitments that you have made um and and every member in that context made the same like um commitment yeah. now the commitment could, uh could, or the goal could be oh i i, I want to be healthier mm -hmm. um or i want to get better at martial arts yeah. right but that goal um is what all of your eyes are looking at yeah right and that goal like you, all of you have been oriented around this particular uh, goal um and so that's why even when you get hurt in that kind of con in that context um you still get up right you get up and, and you you go back to the gym again you try your hardest mm -hmm. to get certain moves right yeah. right and there's there's a certain satisfaction that you find in that because because it's one step closer to the goal yeah, that is right? a very, that, that's a great And so, um, with respect to the church, it's communion with God. And the, the, the people of God have been oriented around this particular um, telos. Yeah. Right? Um, and so, it's, it's the telos that really... What, okay, so when it comes, when it comes to, when it comes to religion... How important is getting belief correct? And how important is it to have correct beliefs? True. Mm -hmm. Now we're, we're getting into some uh, reformation um, like issues. Does it matter at the end of the day, right? If you have a mistaken belief about a certain dogma or a certain doctrine. Does that condemn you? I mean, I'm not. You know, does that does that mean you don't believe in that thing? Because I've thought about this quite a quite a long quite a lot in terms of. You know, I would have I would have said in the past that if you don't hold to true beliefs, you know, true correct beliefs, then you know you're of a particular religion, then you're not part of that religious group, or, or you're like you're you're outside of that orthodox group. Mm -hmm. but religion is more 
than beliefs. Hmm. Hmm. It seems to me that religion religion is more than beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, c- can you unpack a little bit more? Like when you when you're when you're in this world and you're living in this world your knowledge of the world is wholly determined by your experience and your experience ultimately is what sh- shapes your reality and shapes how you what you end up believing and of course this does not negate one's ideas, ca- ideas like, and capacities sure, to think through sure. things but when when you are talking about a religion the commitment to a religion is not so much not so much do i have the right beliefs have i understood let's talk about christianity specifically you know that's what we both know very well if you talk about christianity is it do i do i understand how jesus christ is two person uh you know one nature and two distinct uh two distinct natures or how do i understand the trinity that it's one one person two natures sorry one person (laughs) that's what i mean one person two natures and how important is it that i fundamentally am in line with um orthodoxy or with chalcedon on Mm -hmm. this Mm-hmm. You know, what if I just don't understand it well enough? Just to give an example. Right. And does that mean that I would be outside of the group? Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. I think, and I just don't think, I think that religion is more than just a set of beliefs. It's a set of practices, uh, which is obviously bound up in beliefs, but the practice, I think, is fundamentally, the rituals are fundamentally what shapes the religion. Yes, and and I think both of uh, both of us can agree that in the patristic uh, period, there was no divide between b- pra- uh, belief and practice, mm. right? Um, but at the same time, um, I think, man, um, see, each day we're learning more about god each day we're learning more we each day we learn more about um how to articulate our understandings of the of the divine mm. you know like and so you can never arrive at quote unquote perfect knowledge of the divine you you can't exhaust exhaustively like know god you can't exhaustively know god um and sometimes you will struggle um on this journey mm-hmm. of like of of trying to articulate every theological point you like you always stumble you always struggle um but i think that yes belief is is important but also practice is also important i won't divide those two mm, yeah, mm-hmm. i think that that's that's the only place i'm hung up on 
I wouldn't divide those two. Um, they're fundamentally linked. Um, so as long as the person has a salvific knowledge of Christ, and if they don't perfectly understand Christology, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> it's it's okay. Like, as long as they're willing to learn more about Christology or the Trinity, for example, mm-hmm. the Trinity is it's it's difficult for a lot of people like to to express and to understand. Yeah. It gives people headaches, of you course. know, and so. As long as you possess a salvific knowledge of Christ, and as long as you you know something about the Trinity, like mm. at least know the orthodox position mm. about the Trinity mm. and the o- orthodox position on Christology, you don't necessarily have to n- know everything. Um, or be the best at articulating all those doctrines. Um, but the practice, though, is is very important. Because people are going to look at how you live. More than what you say. Yes. Yeah. Especially in our culture. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, I think it's even more you can, important. You can talk the talk. Yeah. You know? It's so easy to to just so easy to just you know theologize <laughs> right that, that, that's my discipline you know um you, you put on the hat and you theologize you use big words yeah, yeah. and whatnot just to sound cool and smart and blah 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 right like you can do all of that um right it's a game right but at the end of the day um does your life reflect what you say and that and and that's the thing now when we wrestle with that question <laughs> that question reveals our limitations mm. because as fallen human beings there isn't that perfect uh unbroken chain between what we say and what we do we're hypocritical on some we're hypocritical on some level on some level and i think part of living in this world is to narrow that bridge each and every day each and every day yes between what you talk and what how you walk yes it's I think it's even I think this is why it's even more important for if anybody's religious that they have skin in the game that they believe that they that, that they practice what they preach and it's such an old saying that I it sounds trite and I say it because it's something that I've you know over the years I've thought and have been convicted by I think I yeah I think I group everybody in in that not just Christians but also non-Christians. Yeah. I think both groups are hypocritical. Yeah. That, um <laughs> on some level. Oh, of course. I think there's so many. <laughs> you look I, I'll, I'll give you a good example, right? 
all of us are hypocritical. hypocritical yeah. on some level. Like there's, I, like I've told you before, you know, I, unless I, you're Christ, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have cold showers in the morning, but I know there are other people who have cold showers and some of the, I, like I've seen videos of people and, you know, and there are people who say, you know, I did this for 30 days or I did this for X amount, X amount of time. And, and then you find out they actually never did it. <laughs> like, like, oh, okay. You know, it's it's very different when you're, because it's very easy to say something that you don't believe in, just because it sounds good and it makes you, it gives you, you 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 earn status points by saying certain right, things. Right. And that I think is a folly that I think we all sort we all struggle with as humans. That. You know, coming from a tribalistic society, status in a tribalistic society is what matters, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Without status, you're nobody. Yeah, like you're nobody. You're, you know, you're just some guy who lives at the edge of the village. You have, <laughs> that's why you know, with with our tribe, the Naga tribe, being headhunters. So it, you're part of the Naga tribe. Yeah, I'm part of the Naga yeah. tribe, and we're part of headhunters. And you know, we we chop, we would. After, at the end of a battle or once we killed our enemy we would cut off their head out of honor for them and also the belief was that that head would bring prosperity and life we we held that that's it held the soul of the man inside of his head so when you brought it to your village that soul the energy got dissipated that's the belief right and the moment you brought a head into the village your status went from zero to bazinga like one <laughs> bazinga you, bazinga you, you you essentially went from you, you essentially did creation ex nihilo for your for yourself <laughs> like you could be nobody but if you got a head back all of a sudden you became a feared warrior a feared warrior then has access to women right better access to inside of the village closer to the chief better food when it gets hunted so you have but we all sort of come from this, at least human evolution, we come from this tribalistic society. So you're drawn to status. Right. You're drawn to it. You want to say the right thing because if I say the right thing, somebody that... You win brownie points. You win brownie points. <laughs> and somebody that I don't like but who's higher than me will notice and say, hey, you said this right thing. Yeah. Join my group. Yeah. Oh, you sound so articulate, and you know, you know, you know, you know all these. Uh, you know all these terms. All these terms that it, people use. There's a. I'm rereading this tiny, tiny, tiny. I would call it a booklet, not even a book, called "On Bullshit" by Harry Frankfurt, who is a philosopher. Yeah. Like one of the greatest moral philosophers, and essentially he's discussing what is bullshit compared, you know, and he says. Bullshit is very different from lying. It's also very, very, it's different from fibbing. It's also different from, um, I forget what the other analogy he gave was. But he just said, when somebody lies, they know the truth. Mm. Right? They know the truth and they're purposely deceiving you. Absolutely. But when somebody bullshits, according to him, they don't know the truth. They're just sort of making it up. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but it's, it is a great book and... I read it. Obviously, it's a very philosophical way he writes it. It's not like your everyday, you know, book where it's like ha ha ha, kind of funny, great prose. It's right, like it's like, right. Like chop, 
Chopped. Chopped. At least that's the way I find it. <laughs> there are a lot of aphorisms. Um, I don't know if I would say there's a lot of aphorisms. It's just, it's not like the most fun book to read. I see. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not. A, it's not necessarily an enjoyable book that you could relax, put on your, put on some you know slow music in the background, get a cigar. It's not. It's not that. Right. It's, it's like, okay, I gotta focus. Let me see what he's saying. Um, right. But there was a point about the tribal. Oh yeah, it was that. The, the drastic difference between, you know, um, the importance of practicing what you preach versus not practicing what you preach in a liberal sort of society that we live in where it's very individualistic oriented, mm-hmm. it becomes even more important, mm-hmm. right? Because in one sense, you will get status points for practicing what you preach, mm-hmm. but it's much harder to get those. Yeah way harder because you could say it but you cannot get it i will give you one example of this is uh santa marina or saint marina i believe mm-hmm. that's a, um she's a Le- levantian saint mm-hmm. so somewhere from like um lebanese mm-hmm. like in lebanon that sort of area mm-hmm. she her her mother died in an accident and her father vowed wanted to become a monk and vowed then to become a monk mm-hmm. but she wanted to be with her father so she vowed to become a monk but she couldn't become a monk because she was a mm-hmm. woman mm-hmm. so she pretended to be a boy Saint Santa Marina or Saint Marina she pretended to be a boy until her very last breath and she died when she was like 70 I think and when they were unra- you know unraveling her to, to get her ready for her burial that's when people realized that she was a woman. <laughs> and this is where talking about the um, practicing what you preach. Her father was accused of, of rape by this, uh, by one of the village women who was raped by a Roman soldier. And the Roman soldier told her to accuse uh, St. Marina's father who had passed away, who had just passed away. Um, and obviously her father didn't commit it. It was the Roman soldier. So St. Marina said, took on the shame and said, actually, it was me that raped her so that she could take care of the child. And she took care of the child as if it was her own until her very death. Wow. No status. She got no status. She got the opposite of status. But she practiced what she preached. Like, can you imagine that? Just imagine one, you know, joining this monastery mm-hmm. pretending to be a, a, a boy because you want to join the monastery Two, taking on the shame of being accused of being a rapist mm. even though you weren't a rapist and then raising a child who's not your child at all so that the <sighs> child can live wow that's that's a hard road It's a it's a crazy, it, it's a crazy story, Saint Marina's story. And I think it also t- goes. T- it, it it it. What did it teach you that story? That status games are not, are are something to not be tr- uh, to to not play. Because at the end of the day, when I read that story for the first time, I like. 
the first word that came to me, I, I'm not going to repeat the first word that came to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, this is it. Like that was absolutely insane. And what that made me realize is courage is not always outward courage where people can see it. Sometimes it's inward inward courage to me is much stronger. And those are cur- and and that is something that nobody else can see and perhaps nobody will ever see. Even mm-hmm. after you die, mm-hmm. they may never know it. But that is that takes more courage to do mm-hmm. than to do an outward expression of your courage so that again you get some point some sort of status. Gain. Right. And that's what I took away from that. Maybe that's not the thing to take away from that story, but that is what I took away from it. Mm-hmm. There's um there's a I think it's Lao Tzu. Um, he has a saying. A true courage is not. Yeah, I think he said true courage is not outward courage, but it's the inward courage to live. Hmm. Right. Oh, yeah, that's what he said. True, true courage is not being willing to die, but it's being willing to live. Hmm. 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 And, you know, how many people, how many people actually live? <laughs> that is a deep question. Um, yeah. How many people would you say to go to Nietzsche? <laughs> We're gonna bring last, in Nietzsche. How many people are the last man? Oh, sometimes I feel like I'm one of the last man. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you feel? Because that I'm man? just, you know. Um. I want to give in to pleasure. I want to feel pleasure. I want to mm. orient my life around pleasure. Sometimes, not all the time. <laughs> um, sometimes the the pleasure principle dictates my actions sometimes. Um, but he gave an accurate depiction, uh, description Of what life would be in a postmodern context, in a post-truth context, in a post-God context, mm. where um, people are controlled by pleasure, um, they're in love with status um, and they never take the courage to face um, the question that he faced um, which is if you remove Christian ethics or Christian morality um, from the Western world, the Western world will have no foundation. And so the only um, um, inevitable end is nihilism. Mm-hmm. If you remove Christianity out of the picture, the, the ultimate end is nihilism, which is, which means no meaning, Right. So there's no meaning in life. Like, what else are you going to live for? 
Mm-hmm. Well, man, let, let's just drink and party and uh, and have sex and 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 give into pleasure and you know and and be, and chase after status, money, gold, whatever, right? That was his idea. Like if you do not wrestle um with that fundamental question you will turn to other things to self-medicate mm. the pain mm. which is unbearable for you mm. like it, it's so painful to deal with that question now um nietzsche thought okay to avoid nihilism then we have to create our own meaning yeah Now that's very difficult, right? Who will determine what morals people should follow? Mm-hmm. Who will adjudicate? Mm-hmm. Right? Um and what morals are we going to um privilege over other morals, right? Like is is there going to be an an hierarchy mm-hmm. of morality? Mhm. um it becomes a an a difficult endeavor to do yeah. right and so if you don't have a god mm. to look to if there's no heaven then there's earth and so you're not going to lift your head up for moral guidance mm. um you are the reference point of morality you become the reference point of morality you determine your own morality mm. right the tricky thing is when you enter the public space where you have all these competing um moral views well which moral view would trump over the other like you have that fundamental structural problem yeah to deal with yeah now there's there is no objective morality here right so where 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 does that lead i mean we are essentially living in that time right everything yeah. becomes preference now everything everything is preference It's the age of the last man Yeah, everything is preference, everything is relative, and everything is everything is as important as not important as the other. I wouldn't even say important, right? And you fundamentally have a problem in this in our society where our society be, like western the Latin West as we compare, you know, as as opposed to the East like Constantinople East Christianity the land west fundamentally is at least the societies that we live in is the result of Christianity hmm. right whether that's Catholicism or Protestantism it's a result of Christianity and right so what Nietzsche what Nietzsche said is so accurate that it's terrifying to me hmm. that when you remove Christianity what you have is essentially somebody trying to stand in midair mm-hmm. 
what's going to happen, it's going to fall. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be in that society when it falls. And, and we are, I would say, we are falling, but is it possible to save it? I, you know, I, I'm By optimistic. creating new uh, morality, that's what he would say. And for, for Nietzsche, power... will characterize that new morality mm. that we develop, that we create. Mm. It's going to be power. He was in love with ancient um, Greek, with ancient Greek culture. Um, he was in love of, 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 uh, of, Uh, men who were powerful in that society right who had the warriors great warriors who were who had these great men i mean these great skills and and for him i feel it was a personal problem that he psychologically dealt with that he always felt like he was the weak man no because if you look at Nietzsche he he had so he he had bad health first of all well, he, he was ill family relationship yeah yeah and and his family um, situation was less than ideal should we say. less than ideal it was it was sad right but he overcame that you know as a young man um as a young professor at the age of 22 crazy eh at the age of 22 at a university like that's insane that is absolutely insane to me and he was um uh what, 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 what's what was his field again um I'm trying to remember. Oh, phil- philologist. A philologist. Yeah. Yes, yes. That was his field. He was a great philologist and a great philosopher too. Mm-hmm. Existential philosopher. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, because of his sufferings in his life, he felt as though he lived vicariously through those men that he admired the 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 the, the men from ancient greece the powerful men right he was so in love with the power that they possessed he actually like felt as though he wanted that for himself right i mean think of uh, his idea uh, of the superman the overman mm-hmm overcoming your own um, suffering yeah your own self overcoming self yeah you have to be an individual that is willing to overcome your own uh circumstances your own uh suffering right and and that's an honorable thing we would say in our society you know like i don't think we would say that anymore but I do, I do understand what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. right, right. Um, because of that, the, the, uh, because of the sort of 
culture we're living in where it's it's almost praiseworthy to not overcome to be a victim to be a like victim. It, it's yeah but um yeah nietzsche would say no like overcome your own situation mm-hmm. don't be okay with being a victim mm. rise you are capable of um um you're capable of creating mm. this is the thing for him you're capable of creating a new self when you overcome your situation you create and you create something new you create something new right um and so for nietzsche the self is a self making mm. right um every one of us has that capacity to create a new creation from the ashes mm, the phoenix the phoenix correct um and that's his idea right um on some level i see nietzsche's concept of overman as the secularized version of the christian life ooh yeah right Christ redeems you makes you he makes you transforms you makes new. you new he, he makes you new right i never thought about redeems you from sin yeah and and in that process you overcome yeah your sin you know by virtue of him uh, redeeming you yeah and so you you live a new life of the spirit mm. You're what, more than conqueror. You're more than a conqueror, like conqueror, right? like Romans, Romans eight says, yeah. right? I think one thing about Nietzsche's self overcoming that is profound to me is how how it how it places a strong emphasis on the individual and uh, on the individual's ability to overcome their own suffering. I think that is I I strongly resonate with that especially when he criticizes you know the Christianity that he was most aware of which would be Lutheranism right uh, he's a son of a pastor yeah, Lutheran pastor Lutheran, Lutheran priest right he wanted to be a priest yeah yeah which is very interesting yeah he studied theology and his criticism is that Christian or, or or Lutheranism or Christianity I mean this is you know even applicable in modern day Christianity is people delegate their strength to the Holy Spirit is what he says right it, it, there's an emphasis on the Holy Spirit is the one who'll help me when it, when Nietzsche's point is when in fact you have the power to self overcome within you of right. suffering which I think that you know there is something about that where ultimately even when you say your prayers and you ask for help you know from god or whatever whoever you're praying to right if you're not christian who whatever you're praying to but whoever you're praying to when you ask for it at the after you say your prayer something magical is not going to happen right maybe maybe you could have a mystical experience you know that's beside the point when you pray for strength when you pray for 
I don't know, guidance. You have to do the action. Like mm. an action, you have to live an action-oriented life. Mm-hmm. And that prayer is, uh, you know, the prayers are always action-oriented. If, if you're, if, you know, if you're wanting strength, you're not just going to sit there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're suffering, you're not, the more you sit there and wallow in your, in your suffering, the suffering gets worse. Mm. It gets. It never gets better. Suffering never gets better when you wallow in it. Yes. Suffering only gets better when you do the hard work to overcome that suffering. Yes. But nobody is there to help you in that suffering. In in the sense that, you know, you can have friends who will help you in the suffering. You know, your friends who will who will comfort you, and you know, your spouse or your girlfriend or your lover can right. comfort you. But when you're alone by yourself, you have to do the work. Yeah. And that I think, obviously, I'm not. That's what I understand Nietzsche saying when he's saying the self overcoming and his criticism of Christianity, when he says, you know, the the strong emphasis on the Holy Spirit helping me and the delegation of responsibility. I think that's what he says. The transference of responsibility is what he he, he says, and that I think I resonate with. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, in Christianity, no one is saying that you don't have the capacity of like overcoming your own uh, suffering. I think he was. Um, criticizing. A Christianity that wasn't really Christianity. What do I mean by that? Um, I think um, he was criticizing a caricature of Christianity. Mm. And perhaps he saw a lot of people who were... um, had a wrong understanding of grace. Mm. um, Who had an understanding of cheap, cheap cheap grace. How would you define cheap grace here? Um, to, to not be technical, it's just it just means that. Oh, um, I committed sin. Please forgive me. Moving on. Yeah, without taking any responsibility, okay. right? It is sort of like you know you can pray that prayer for uh, for, for uh, of forgiveness. You can pray that prayer and ask God to forgive you. Um, but you were never like changed. Like in your heart, you're never changed. Mm. So intellectually, you have understood Christianity to be, oh, when you sin, just pray the prayer and then and then and then you go back to living. Um, the uh, the immoral life mm-hmm. that you are addicted to or like in- enamored by yeah uh with i mean so enamored with so um yeah there were a lot of people um there were some people um who had that understanding of christianity um and then The other thing with Nietzsche 
is that he he is right in his criticism of those Christians. Mm. But when you think about true Christianity, what does the spirit do? Right? The spirit assists you. He's the counselor who works with you, mm. empowers you. Mm. Right? So there's still that free will, right? And you're working with the spirit closely to be more like Christ. And every day there's a part of the flesh that you sacrifice. It takes tremendous courage mm. to confront yourself in that way. So in that sense, the Christian is not really weak. Um, true Christianity involves you Picking offering yourself as a sacrifice mm. to God daily. Mm. And that's hard to do. Because you're do. confronting your sin, your sinful nature, right? Um, and and in that process, you're overcoming your own like uh, shortcomings, right? But with the assistance of the Spirit, right? What Nietzsche does, he removes the Spirit. And tries to secularize it. That's a Christian heresy of self-sufficiency. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it's not going to get you anywhere. Right? Um, and, and, and there's nowhere in scripture that says that you can't. It's impossible for you to uh, determine yourself. Are you saying there's nowhere in scripture that says you can determine yourself? You that cannot. That you, you don't have the capacity okay, okay. to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Um, but if we're dealing with fallen human beings, the heart is wicked. Right? And if we determine ourselves, well, what are we, at, what are we determining ourselves against? Uh, to become. To, uh, towards right yeah. uh, by what criterion are we determining ourselves and I think that's why Nietzsche loved the Greeks right because oh. they had obviously they had their gods but Greek the, philosophy yeah go, go ahead I was saying Greek philosophy is you know there were obviously competing philosophical schools there yeah, but each philosophical school, for the most part, from my understanding, is they lived what they practiced. Right? The yes. Stoics practiced what they preached. Yes. The uh, the followers of Plato practiced what they preached. Mm -hmm. The 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 um, goodness, what are they called? The you um, the followers of pleasures. What are they called? <laughs> um. Uh, I it's know who movie. you're talking about. Goodness, it'll come uh, <laughs> I, can't I forgot what it is. But, but I'll, I'll skip. No, it's, it's not the Epicureans. Epicureans. The it's Epicureans. the Epicureans. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then the Pythagoreans followed right. Pythagoras. Right. Even though he was probably a myth. Um, <laughs> you know, and so there is that sense that you could potentially 
have a society, a good society like Christianity has built, but it would have to be the Greeks, some, something similar to the Greeks. Hmm. Because, I mean, this is not to say anything about any other society, but Western, the Latin West has the best currently as we under like we're obviously we have the pleasure and the the luxury of sort of looking back on history mm, mm. right and when you look back on history you see that the land west is heavily 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 influenced by christianity mm-hmm. and it has become you know uh, one of the freest nations to live in any anywhere in the western world mm. But without Christianity, like, well, you, you, you you just cannot return to the Greeks just on a whim. You know? No, it's no. almost impossible to do it. No, you'd have to break down everything and because there there are so many things that we take for granted that you cannot justify. Mm. You know, you can't justify the idea of having objective truth in the world. I mean, that's not, not, not necessarily Greek or anything of that matter, but the idea that there is truth out there that we can um, grasp. Mm-hmm. And the idea that the individual has inalienable inalienable rights. Yeah. That's, that's a Christian. That's very Christian. Right? Like, it goes back to the idea of the image of God. Yeah. How, you can't have that. It's tough. I mean, that's precisely why in the Greek, any society has had slaves or... Some sort of servitude, like it's always, it's it has always existed. Slavery has always existed in human history for a very good reason, in that it is just without the idea that a human being, an individual human being, no matter how small they are, whether they're in the embryo stage or at an old geriatric stage, right? They have precious. They are precious in the eyes of God, and they're also because they're made in the image or imagadeo, and so you have that. Right. Yeah, I mean, that idea. I think the the idea of the image of God. um, It's a very profound idea. Um, with respect to, um, yeah, like all civilizations in in the ancient times had, had slaves. Um, I, I tend to see the difference between what happened in America. I, tr- I try to draw the distinction between that and, and for example, like in the past, mm. like the slaves, um, at least even like, even in the Old Testament, people um, would sell themselves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, just to feed their family. Yeah. And then, and then there's after seven years, right? There's a year of jubilee where yeah. you, you free them, free. right? That's that's an interesting idea. Yeah, but it, but that idea was only specific to those. Within the Bible, oh, not with, sorry. When I say within the Bible, within Israel, Israelites, right? But at at least 
it, it shows you how distinct that group was from everybody else. Right, exactly. The Near Eastern, everybody in the Near Eastern were not like the Israelites. Right. Whatsoever. In their morality, right. in their religion. Very different. And, and the idea of one God, like... Yeah, I mean, do you, do you, do you want to go a bit deeper on actually that? For how The monotheistic... Yeah, how, how unique was ancient Israel compared to her neighboring neighboring states? The, the the biggest thing is the evidence is Genesis 1 it begins with in the beginning God created mm-hmm. that was unheard of all of the sudden now like in this creation myth you have an, an idea that the world had a, a beginning mm. and that there's a that that the world is distinct from God and that it is a one God who created this world, which is not part of God. And it is not as though God fashioned the world from his own being or by having sex with <laughs> other <laughs> yeah, yeah. low uh, beings, right? Um, so that was, uh, a revolutionary idea at that time. Now we don't need to get hung up on the number of days it took to create the universe, uh, to, yeah, to create the universe. But what's interesting in all of that is that you have this idea that everything came what everything was fashioned by god came everything came from nothing Mm. right um which is creatio ex nihilo right that creation came from nothing how can nothing produce something mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing should produce nothing <laughs> unless you're Lawrence Krauss then you argue that something can come from nothing <laughs> well even the the astral uh, physician understanding of nothing is not, not nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it is not nothing By there nothing was something actually, in the vacuum yeah. right it's like the vacuum is not even a vacuum yeah. <laughs> it's like but something gave rise to this right uh, uh this singularity right like um so everything came from this singularity mm. and that god existed prior to the the to the, the point of uh, singularity singularity and so um that was a very revolutionary idea and that and the idea that god is one um because the greeks had many gods they were very very They're polytheistic right mm-hmm. um they had a buffet of gods a buffet of gods yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> i can have this god i can have that god i can have that very god for my good fortune <laughs> very similar to hindus and if i come across uh, uh an enemy 
um i can who i can't defeat i'll beg uh for them to uh pray to their god you know no, I, so so that I, so that i can gain favor, then you can get favor god. it's very similar to um how within the hinduism there are there are gods for every every single every single situation and every every single thing there's a right. god for cars fixing cars word no no joke i don't even lie here like it's like there's so many gods i mean it, it you know it's it, it is funny and interesting to me that 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 is the case but yes going back to the greeks i mean sorry going back not to the greeks to the near eastern mm-hmm. that they're, they're polytheistic mm-hmm. israelites come in with a story that mm-hmm. hey the world via by world they mean the anything that exists in the world that is created or anything right everything in our universe everything in our universe i i don't think their cosmology was as developed as ours today i i i don't think they knew pluto <laughs> or, or saturn you know yeah. like or venus you know like or that they, they were existed inside of the milky way yes of yeah, course, sure sure but th- so the distinction was that they said the world was created by a creator mm-hmm. that was nobody had said that before mm-hmm. and that by by the mere fact that the world was created that had implications on how one ought to live in the world right yes and how drastic was that ethical system between the israelites and some of her neighboring was it hmm. like was it this was it distinct in the sense that you know you you read you go through the old testament and you have the book of deuteronomy um i think the book of deuteronomy has all the laws right all, all the, the laws, laws yeah i think uh an old testament scholar will be helpful here like to talk to an old, old testament why scholar. don't we have an old testament scholar oh, we should have an old testament scholar or a jewish uh a scholar for that matter um yeah i think they'll be able to answer that question really well um i think the distinctiveness like the- theologically speaking of israel goes back to abraham now m- mind you these books um, were written um after abraham's um after abraham's time yeah you know um and so i think they're attributed to moses mm-hmm. traditionally speaking they're attributed to moses um but i think the distinctiveness of israel is can be traced back to god calling abraham out from his tribe mm, like you would say that is the point the the point yeah mm. yeah and it's from there that that distinctiveness begins to take root oh uh becomes clear mm. right 
because here now you have somebody who has heard from God that he is going to make him uh, or turn him into a great nation and that he will have many descendants mm -hmm. and he's challenged by God to to exercise his faith in God and to listen to God and to follow God to obey God mm -hmm. and God sets him apart sets him and also his descendants apart and so that distinct distinctiveness is taking shape um, and then from there on who knows what other things were part of the oral tradition mm -hmm. that you know um the the first descendants of abraham knew or the second generation or the third generation knew about god right not everything is codified in in our scriptural um books right there's some things that are part of the oral tradition oh, that are left out. That is very right? true. And so, yeah, um, but I think the call of Abraham is, is the beginning point for me. Okay. I think that's my amateur you, answer. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, on Abraham, Kierkegaard loves gets, Abraham. Loves Abraham and gets hung up on the sacrifice of Isaac. Yes. Obviously, for anybody who didn't read the story, spoiler, Isaac did not get sacrificed. Psych! There was a, <laughs> there was a goat there. <laughs> there was a goat. Um, and it, a ram. A ram, sorry. That's right, a <laughs> ram. Um, I believe Kierkegaard calls it the suspension of the ethical. Is it the ethical? What is it? How does he describe the it? suspension of the ethical? Is that it? Is that how he says it? Yeah. And the first time I, the first time I read Kierkegaard on this, I thought, "What is this man on?" And what I wondered, and I want to get your thoughts on that: this. the ethical was suspended in yeah. that moment yeah. when God called Abraham, Abraham. to sacrifice yeah. his son. Yeah. Do you? Do you agree with? Kierkegaard's interpretation of Abraham and Isaac's that story hmm. and that the ethical was suspended in, in the moment in which you know Abraham was called to sacrifice his son um <laughs> um it's an interesting take his take is very interesting and I think to understand Kierkegaard you also have to consider his context in which he lived um, his, his, he lived um, he's from um, Denmark right but he lived um, during uh, Christendom mm -hmm. and during his time you had Christians who were culturally Christians, but they weren't really Christians, mm. right? So culturally, they abide by the, the moral standards um, of their day, mm. right? Or like culturally, 
they consider themselves as Christians in name, right? But not in practice. And so in that type, particular culture, for example, Kierkegaard would mock those Christians. It's like, you say that you're a Christian, but you're not really living as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And some of the morals that you're um, abiding by, like, they're not really Christian in in nature. Yeah. And so for him, the ethical, for example, the ethical is, is, is something um, that society establishes. What is ethical to society will be doing this, doing that, yeah. right? Um, and for Kierkegaard, even if I heard that call from God to sacrifice my son, I'll be... I'll be like, are you are you crazy? No, it's unethical to do that. Uh-huh. It's absolutely unethical uh-huh. to do that. Why would I kill my own child? Mm. That makes no sense to me. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's morally wrong to do that. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me what Kierkegaard does there is that he differentiates between <laughs> I don't know if I should even say this I think for Kierkegaard it is God who determines mm, yes us and God who determines ethics sure it's, it's the command of God yeah, what is it called? like the command of God characterizes us it calls us yeah divine command theory He's a, he's a right, right, right. Um, crudely speaking, we can we can call him as a divine um, command, command uh, divine command theorist, right? Um, and so, when God calls you, he'll. It is as though when when so okay. Let's take the example of uh, of uh, Abraham and Isaac, God commands him to do something that God knows it's unethical, immoral. Mm -hmm. We know the ending of the story. Like, Abraham didn't sacrifice Isaac. But in that moment, um, Kierkegaard says that the ethical, whatever ethical standard we abide ourselves uh, by, was suspended in order for him to um, follow God, which is a hard concept to digest. I'm still, I'm still digesting that even to this day. How is it that God can call me to do something that that's unethical. contrary yeah. to the set of cultural um, norms or uh, c- cultural uh, ethics, yeah. but this or is like beyond cultural ethics, right? It's like it's a it seems to be a violation of universal ethical principles. Yeah, on some level, yeah, right, yeah. 
so it's it's a very the way he he deals with it it's 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 interesting and, and it's hard to digest because i believe it's objectively wrong mm. to kill right mm-hmm. to murder to murder yeah 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 but in the end god um up, like god upheld that law and that's the law he established too yeah. right he didn't allow abraham to sacrifice isaac and abraham deeply knew that he would receive isaac in this life mm. after sacrificing him mm. It is a story that it's a story of faith. Yeah. And and that's what Kierkegaard is getting at. That it's about Abraham's faith in God. Yes, truth for uh, for Kierkegaard is something you commit yourself yourself to. Yeah. And you know the 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 older I get the more I appreciate Kierkegaard <laughs> I'll put it that way and you know what you just said that it's a commitment that you make mm-hmm. and, and there are going to be sacrifices along the way right. that you have to make mm-hmm. and that's what he's getting at mm-hmm. on, on this topic Axel where can people find you on on the social or on do you have papers that people can read if they wanted to read you? You're also writing your dissertation. I'm when writing my dissertation. So a few things. When's your dissertation coming out? Where can people find you on social? Have you written? Do you have publications um, that you can read or talks? I mean, I, I presented a paper on Calvin's doctrine of predestination. I think you can find that on, on Tyndale's website. Okay. Um, but... I think that's the only thing that that I've published. That's out, yeah. That's so out the, there, yeah. yeah. Um, so my dissertation is on the Eucharist. Um, specifically, I'm looking at um, Eucharistic sacrifice of Thanksgiving, um, and the link between that and the Church. So do you have a working title? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's 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 a bit long. Go for it. Uh, <laughs> He's got a real Jamie. <laughs> Jamie, can you pull up? Yeah, Jamie. Is it is it Jamie? <laughs> yeah, where's Jamie? Well, I thought we had <laughs> Um yeah, so the title is um um Eucharistic sacrifice and nature of the church, um, the role of Christ's priesthood and um, Eucharistic sacrifice of thanksgiving in shaping the nature um, and the being of uh, the church. 
so essentially the title is uh, Eucharistic Sacrifice um, and uh, the nature of the church um, and the subtitle is um, the role of Christ's priesthood and Eucharistic sacrifice in shaping the nature and being of the church in the theologies of Vimigli, Butzer, and Kramer. Okay. So I'm looking at those three theologians those three guys. and how they understood uh, the link uh, between um, Euchre the Eucharist and the church. Well, so essentially that, that's, that's my research uh, question. Um, yeah. When can it be expected to be defended? Ooh, in three years. In three years? Yeah. Is that is that like your your um your best time or is that your like your latest? Um the latest. Latest, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then where can people find you on social? Ooh, um Kingswood University, of course. Um Do they have your publication on Kingswood University? That's where Axel teaches. No, of course, no. this is going to be in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you can find me on Instagram. <laughs> Instagram, Axel. Axel um, dot M dot Kazadi. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I had an online presence. I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't have that. You should make a website, Axel. I you should. should you, you've been, you've been bothering me. Yeah, you should make a website. You know, it's the way to do about it. About that, um, you've bothered me a long time now. Maybe I should. I think you should make a website. I think websites. And you know, now the question is more so. This would be a question for uh, a, a conversation for a different time. But it's it's a matter of like, if you build a website, and you're on a and on your a platform in which the platform decides that they don't like. Some of the things you say, you're a Christian, they don't like it, they're going to cancel you. They're going to cancel me. Yeah, no. the cancel so culture. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of finding the right platform yeah. to, to hop on. Yeah. But, yeah. Did you listen to uh, the Bieber album, Freedom? Yeah, the I last did. Song? After the last you told song? Me, after you told me to listen to it, yeah, we listened. Kaylin loves the album. Yeah. She, she had it on re repeat after and I played it the first time. He goes after the... Uh, he goes after cancel culture yeah. on the last song. It's, it's very interesting. Um, His argument against it is that God never cancels us. Mm. So why should we cancel other people? And I think we have a hard time with our owning up, with, um, owning up to our own failures. Uh, and, and it's very difficult to also, um, tolerate the failings of other of others other people yeah it's a human problem it is and it's, it's it's hard to extend grace when somebody does something that hurts someone else or that hurts you or that hurts yeah, you yeah. right um and then it's another when you 
analyze that from God's perspective, like with the lens of, of God, right? And you consider how God relates with us. Mm-hmm. That even when we sin and commit wrong things before him, he still extends grace to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, man, this has been a fantastic conversation, Max. Um, do you have any last words, parting wisdom before we, before we close up? Just live. Just live. This guy's got to end it. That's that's actually that's 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 more difficult than what it sounds, <laughs> <laughs> right? Just live. Well, just live. <laughs> I think that's a great way. I, I actually really like that. Thanks, Ax, for being here. No stress. Thanks for listening to this episode of Kazungram Dialogue. If you enjoyed, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media.